Today on Government Matters, speeding resources to the front lines of the coronavirus fight in government. The administrator of the General Services Administration tells you how it's working. Your office may look a lot different when you go back to work. GSA leader Emily Murphy on her agency's role in the federal government's next normal. And the Army's efforts to keep the defense industrial base moving during the pandemic. Acquisition leader Bruce Jetty draws you the roadmap. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The General Services Administration supporting agencies across government to help them get what they need fast to respond to coronavirus. One example is transferring more than 57,000 N95 masks to the Department of Health and Human Services. Emily Murphy is administrator of GSA. Emily, welcome. Thanks for joining me. How has uh, GSA's response been to the virus both internally and externally helping agency customers? Thanks for having me here, Francis. As we just celebrated Public Service Week, I want to take the opportunity to highlight the tremendous work of our GSA employees. If this were any other year, I'd be talking about $14.5 billion in savings and how we've already consolidated over 70% of our scheduled contracts. But as you pointed out, this isn't any other year. I am so incredibly proud of how GSA's responded to COVID-19. Numbers aren't everything, but they do provide a great window into the work GSA is doing to support our other agencies. PBS has conducted 2,271 initial and follow-up cleanings as of May 4th in both GSA-owned and leased buildings so that contractors, employees, and others can continue to be safe when they have to go into the office. Within the Federal Acquisition Service, we've bought more than 2.1 million pairs of gloves, which is enough to give a pair to everyone in the state of North Carolina. We've bought 14 million uh, cleaning wipes, which is enough to stretch from D.C. to Dallas, Texas. We've bought 86,000 gallons of disinfectant cleaning solution, which is enough to fill uh, a stack of 68 miles worth of a Diet Coke can and all the way to the sky. We've got 47,000 gallons of hand sanitizer that we purchased, which could fill more than two large swimming pools. 259,000 masks and face shields, including 50,000 face shields that went to New York hospitals, almost 18,000 laptops to help agencies telework. I, I could go on and on, but you know, our work is just starting as agencies are getting ready to return to the office. So the, we'll talk about the return to the office later in the conversation, Emily. What strikes you about what your agency customers have come to you and said, we need your help to do this? Have there been things that you that, that surprised you or shocked you that agencies thought of you to help them with? And maybe have there been things that you've been surprised? We can do this, and nobody seems to be asking us to do this. Uh, I don't know that it's the, we can do this and no one's been asking us, but what, we've been talking to our agency customers a lot. I actually sent out letters to every single one of my counterparts um, at, a, at the various cabinet agencies, the CFO Act agencies at IRS, telling them, at the, you know, here's who your points of contact at GSA are, and then we cascaded that down so that anyone who had any questions knew right away where to go. Uh, we've been trying to help them with, as I said, cleaning, enhanced screening services as we're looking at going back, whether we can have people taking temperatures before people go into the office, 
helping them a lot with their IT work and the remote work that, um, that they're trying to put in place. And GSA's got great IT systems. So a shout out to Dave Shive on that one. Um, so we've been helping them try to replicate that. We've even gone in and helped set up things like the, the frequently asked questions page for the COVID government website. Uh, so we've been involved throughout this process, usually in the background, which is really the best way for GSA to be acting. If we're here to support other agencies and make sure they get what they need to get their jobs done. The challenge for every agency during all of this, Emily, is you have a coronavirus response on one track and then on a parallel track, you have the ongoing mission needs and mission goals of the organization. In your case, that's things like maintaining the buildings in the public building service, in addition to all of the things that you just talked about, about keeping them clean and safe. Um, the EIS transition, schedules consolidation, all of that. How has the virus response impacted the way that you're executing on all of those? And has it reordered any of the priorities that you had before this started? So see, the one priority that, a couple things I've seen that we've had to adjust. Um, our e-commerce portal. We ended up announcing that we're gonna do a two week delay at, with that because the contracting officer who was leading that initiative was also one of the contracting officers who led our first emergency sourcing team. We're trying to be flexible with agencies as they, for example, agencies that are looking to move from one space to another um, during this period, we're not gonna ask employees to go into the office, box up their, their, their things get them ready to be moved, they can be moved into another space. We're, you know, we're giving them some flexibility with that, that timeline. Uh, but I'm really proud of how GSA sort of kept on track with almost everything else we've done. And it's meant you know, that they've had to find a lot of balance. It, we've got 99.8% of GSA's employees teleworking on any given day. So that means basically only about 300 people a day go into the office uh, in order to maintain those buildings and to do the critical mission assurance work that needs to happen but everyone else will manage to find ways to create flexible schedules, use the IT that we have, get the job done, and doing so at a time when basic tasks that used to be so easy, like going to the grocery store, now take pre-planning. Um, again, I can't tell you how proud I am of the GSA employees we've got. They've just been amazing. We have about a minute in this part of our conversation, Emily. How are you documenting and how are you asking the leaders of the various components of GSA to document the successes and challenges that you're having during this crisis so that you can compile them into an after action report, learn from it, and inform the next group of people, uh, next group of leaders at GSA that has to deal with something like this? All right, this is hard for one minute because we started <laughs> off even before this happened we tried to break our systems. We did one week ahead of time, we did a mandatory telework day and I gave Dave Shive the task of break our IT systems so we can fix them before we need to go to telework. But we've, I always sort of like the, to paraphrase Robert Burns, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. So we've been adjusting our processes, documenting why we're adjusting them. But uh, for example, when we started, we would, the recommendation was that as soon as you thought there was COVID exposure in a building, you would clean right away. Now we know from the CDC that we should actually wait 24 hours before we go in and do that cleaning, that that's safer. So we've made those adjustments and we'll continue to document those adjustments. Emily, stand by. We'll look ahead at life in government after coronavirus when my conversation with the administrator of the General Services Administration, Emily Murphy, continues after the break. You're watching ABC7.
Welcome back. When federal employees come back to the office after the virus, whenever that is, the offices they come back to will likely be very different. More now with Emily Murphy, the administrator of the General Services Administration. Emily, what are you thinking about right now and what are you asking leaders within GSA to think about about what GSA looks like from a business operations perspective when your employees start to come back to the office, whenever that is? So I think one of the uh, most important lessons we learned was just how well telework works for GSA and how important those investments we've made in IT modernization have been and allowed GSA to really be on the forefront of that. Prior to COVID-19, about 80 to 85% of our employees had telework agreements and about 50% teleworked um, in any given week. We now have over 99% of our employees with telework agreements. It doesn't mean telework's right for everyone, but it's given us the ability to demonstrate how effectively we can operate with telework and how high our productivity can be that uh, with telework. It's also given us the chance to sort of reach out in new ways. Before COVID-19, I used to do coffee chats once a month with the mid-career employees in GSA. You know, we bring 12, 15 people in. We've been able to expand that now throughout the regions. We've learned that it gives uh, employees more flexibility to accomplish their jobs, which lets them do a better job you know, with their mission. So as we're looking to return, we're looking at things like how do we make sure that those who are still teleworking are fully engaged? Um, how do we figure out which jobs we need to prioritize bringing back into the office? And that doesn't necessarily mean GSA jobs, but it does in some cases. And you can't do air traffic control from your spare bedroom. Um, so we need to make sure that the resources we have to bring people back are going to those agencies where they need to be in the office. And within GSA, that ends up being uh, you know, our building managers who are really unsung heroes who've been going in all along. But also people do things like computer-assisted design, construction management, um, our fleet employees who actually need to be, you know, on a regular basis handing out and putting new plates on cars, work that needs to be done in a skiff. So prioritizing those resources and getting them back, those individuals back in, at the same time making sure that um, in the interim that we've got the ability to continue to maximize the telework so that we can support other agencies that don't have the, that same infrastructure that we've got. The underlying buzz that I continue to hear from senior leadership across government, Emily, is that this is an opportunity, and Suzette Kent said it straight out on this program a couple of weeks ago, this is an opportunity to dramatically rethink the way the government does its business every day, on a day-to-day -day basis. It strikes me that your agency's uniquely positioned to do that because of the acquisition and public buildings aspects of this. I imagine there are models that you're thinking about at least about how the footprint, the real estate footprint, looks dramatically different a year from now or five years from now as people realize teleworking's pretty good and it works pretty well. Is that a fair read on what? my part? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at GSA headquarters, our office at 1800F, we'd already added another thousand employees into that building in December. We brought our national capital region in. Um, and we're still finding that if we maximize telework, we might be able to reduce our footprint even further. And we'd love to work with our agency partners on as they're discovering how well telework can work for them. And again, it's not there's not a one size fits all solution to this, but looking at how we could further reduce the footprint and allow, frankly, make this even a recruiting tool so that uh, at least within GSA, the ability to telework and the ability to have good IT is actually one of the things that I know attracts employees to work at GSA. So trying to take this and make it into a positive 
and you know reduce that federal footprint at the same time and save taxpayers even more money. You mentioned the e-commerce portal in the first part of our conversation and the, the pause on that because of coronavirus. Do you have a sense, and not specifically just about e-commerce, but do you have a sense of when you might be able to get back on track on some of those things and kind of put the virus off to the side? Or is this such a kind of a next normal is the term that I've been using that that's not really possible to do from a leadership perspective at this point yet? Um, I think that actually that the, the e-commerce portal was sort of a, an anomaly in, in just that it was the contracting officer who worked on that was also helping with our emergency sourcing. And so we're actually back on schedule and are expecting uh, to move forward with an award fairly soon on that one. However, we, and if you look across the, the, the Federal Acquisition Service, they came out with their uh, Federal Marketplace spring release just this past week. We've made our small business innovation research uh, phase three pilot, it was made that permanent. We've been expanding our commercial solutions opening pilot. Um, we've improved our small business forecasting tool with so that it's easier to have more companies uh, get information on where their opportunities to do business with the government. We've expanded our, uh, our enhanced debriefing program, the inform pilot to, so that it's gonna cover more acquisitions and we hope we'll be, eventually be able to make it permanent. Our PBS employees have even gone so far as to, they've. They've gone to target parking lots to sign leases um, while using social distancing. Uh, they were able to consolidate five leases last week. TTS has been able to put a telehealth uh, um, website in place, and they actually added a new COE last week during all of this happening. So GSA has really kept pace and done so much uh, of the work that we were normally planning to do in addition to doing the work COVID uh, added to our plate. Emily Murphy, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great talking to you again. Up next, guarding the health of the defense industrial base during the pandemic. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the Army's top acquisition leader on keeping the Pentagon's suppliers on track. You're watching ABC7. Welcome back. The coronavirus pandemic's driving changes for the defense industrial base and stressing the supply chain. The Army's promoting resiliency in the supply chain and working with companies to keep contractors on track. Dr. Bruce Jetty is Assistant Secretary for Acquisition Logistics and Technology in the Army. Dr. Jetty, thanks very much for coming on the program. As you're traveling around, you're looking at what's going on in the industrial base. What are you seeing and what are the companies telling you that they need in order to maintain that supply chain, sir? Well, first, Francis, thank you uh, for having me, and I, I look forward to seeing if I can uh, pass on some of the insights that we've had. Uh, pandemic gives us a, a new way of looking at the supply industrial base, and it's giving us a new opportunity to uh, try and find better methods of uh, making it uh, more resilient. Um, things that we're seeing with the uh, defense industrial base. First, let me tell you that, uh, you know, we have the smaller suppliers are the ones that we end up spending the most time trying to focus on. Uh, that's where uh, the challenges seem to be uh, really the, the, the problem set. Uh, the primes generally are, are dealing with their, the big primes are dealing with their environment uh, uh, with a lot more horsepower behind them. When I take a look at the small suppliers, they, they 
uh, tend to have a handful of uh, issues that they run into, uh, some of which we sort of expected and had some things in place to deal with them, and then some of them uh, are new, and uh, we've had to develop new methodologies by which we can support them as well. How far down the chain do you think that it's the Army's responsibility to reach? You said primes are doing okay. The top-tier subs, I imagine, are probably doing okay, too. At what point is it your sense that that supply chain starts to kind of uh, struggle a bit? Um, so so this, sometimes uh, being the acquisition executive is, is a little bit like playing uh, the world's worst Monopoly game. <laughs> Um, my, the rules and the, law, and the law and contract law for me is that we go down, I, I go to the, the company, whoever's on contract. So if I've got a major prime, uh, technically I don't go down below the major prime. They run their suppliers. Because of COVID, uh, all of the, 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 the primes that we've got, not just the major ones, but all of them have been very cooperative in sharing all the detailed data that they have down on all their suppliers in their supply chain. We go down to as far down as we can get in that supply chain uh, at this point with them. And we, we're doing it in a cooperative way, not to tell them how to run their supply chain, but to be able to be there in case that we, we can provide some sort of support. We're down at the third, fourth, and in some cases, even fifth layers. You said there are some new ways of dealing with this. What are some of those ways, and are they things that you think will be useful, helpful after the pandemic is over, or are they more pandemic-specific, pandemic-exclusive, and once we get past this, this is going to be an area that you think you can pull out of? So there are, there are a few things that we're doing that, that are normally um, – they're, they're normal business practices that are, that are used in this risk management. Uh, so, for example, advanced payments, and, and, uh, and, and uh, we have payments levels to 80% in the past uh, for delivery of items, and so you would go, uh, it's somewhat like building your house. You, 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 you have a certain amount of money you're, you're fronting against the construction, for the construction uh, company until they build the house, and then you do the inspection in the end, and you get the completed funding. So what we've been doing is increasing that number from 80% to 90% for major primes and from 85% to 95% uh, for smaller uh, vendors. What that gets to is it, it, we take a little bit more risk on delivery, uh, but we improve the cash flow, particularly down to the smaller uh, subs. Uh, I think that, that we'll have to take a look as to whether or not we, we think that needs to go back to the original number, 80 and, and, and uh, 85. Uh, it's, it's a management tool, and we're using it. Uh, there are other things that we're doing, um, uh, much faster payments. Uh, we're trying to do 15-day payments instead of 30-day payments. Uh, that, that may be sustainable. It may not. It's not a cash flow issue. It's just being able to keep up with the, the demand of, uh, of all of the invoicing. Um, and then just offering a number of other uh, tools, we, we probably have these tools readily available, but they're just not generally recognized in contracting, such as if it's appropriate, even though a prime has been tied to a particular sub for a given component, if the prime looks at that component and said, you know, it would be easier if that was a, a government-furnished item, then turn that subcontractor over and we generate a separate contract 
for them. That way they can do direct invoicing as opposed to through the prime or through two layers of subs up to the prime. So we're, I think that we're exercising muscles. We'll use them. Um, and we probably will find that some of them will be useful even after COVID. Dr. Jetty, we have about uh, a little bit less than a minute left. Is cash flow the major issue that the companies are telling you about when you get down to that third, fourth level and below, or are there other problems too, sir? Yeah, cash flow is, is probably the, the number one issue, uh, making sure that they keep, uh, keep the cash flowing correctly. Um, there are other issues that uh, we're dealing with with the smaller companies Fundamentally, when you have a small company and one person, let's, let's say it's a critical component and one person in the company gets sick, uh, that can cause you a great deal of difficulty because now the whole company may in, be in quarantine for 18, 14 days. So we're, we're working to help them understand how to manage that type of an environment as well. Bruce, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate your time today, sir. Um, thanks for having me. I hope that was helpful. It was. Thanks for joining me. If you Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv, and you get a preview of every one of our newscasts by signing up for our daily program guide. You just text GOVMATTERS to the number 22828. I'm back in two minutes. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and next Sunday morning at 10.30 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.